0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network
1: so a lot has happened at chelsea over the past week well so much always happens at chelsea as is the nature of our club but now chelsea have a new signing quite a big signing in Mikhailo mudrick and i'm glad to say i'm joined by an expert to speak about him andrew told How how you doing andrew welcome to the show
0: Hi Daniel, uh, looking forward to chatting a bit more about him and the surprise that essentially the past few days have uh, seen us all get involved in.
1: Yeah, it was mental. I was sat here on Saturday evening. I just watched the the three o'clock games unfold, and then I saw the news, and then I was at Stamford Bridge on Sunday with Madrick on the pitch at half time. It was just it's one of the most wild transfer stories. I mean, this time last week, if I'd have said to you all of that was about to unravel and, and he'd become a Chelsea player rather than going to Arsenal. Would you have believed me? Uh,
0: honestly, no. Just based on all of the chat from, you know, every insider going, from all the journalists that were saying that essentially Arsenal were pulling up in, you know, pulling up front in the race and closing in on a deal. And I think the fact is that Chelsea were involved in some talks, obviously, at the start of the year when Dario Serna was at the was at Stamford Bridge a few weeks ago. And I think it just went a bit cold um, in the media anyway. I assume that Chelsea were continuing those talks behind closed doors and everything else. And then, I mean, on the day that we're recording this right now, uh, Serhii Palkin, the Shakhtar CEO, he's come out with loads of insight on the deal um, from his end, saying that Chelsea essentially flew in on the Friday uh, or the Saturday and got the deal done after 10 hours of talks. So it just seems like Chelsea were a lot more focused and wanting Mudrik compared to Arsenal, who apparently offered the exact same money as Chelsea. So that kind of stuff where we've been saying that essentially... uh, Chelsea turned up with all the cash and everything else, then that's why it shifted over. I think it was more to do with like the bonuses and how everything was paid out finally. And I guess Modric was swayed over because we've been seeing the public affection he's been showing for Arsenal and everything over the past few months. And after the words of Palkin today, it seems that that makes a bit more sense because apparently Arsenal have been chatting to Modric since about October time, like directly. Uh, and they didn't start talking to Shakhtar until, you know, Decemberish time. So Mundik's probably been set on Arsenal in a personal bubble sense. And then uh, Chelsea came in with, with the actual goods, you could say.
1: Yeah, I did see the briefing on Monday night from Arsenal sources trying to sort of make up that Chelsea had paid such a big fee for Madrid over over Arsenal. And, you know, it, effectively Chelsea have got a worse deal. But it is interesting reading those quotes today because it kind of, I think, changes the complexion. I'm sure if you're an Arsenal fan, you probably don't want to believe that and you'll believe the Arsenal side of things as, as the nature of, of these deals and, and sort of the, the rumours that go around, uh, around the business uh, of transfers. I, I found it interesting. I, I know you tweeted this out regarding mudrick at stanford bridge when he was unveiled at halftime to the stanford bridge crowd to a really good reception he was joined by the sporting director of, of Shakhtar, which is a really unique thing i mean i, I know obviously with shaktar with what's been going on in ukraine over the past nearly year now of course it's a very unique situation i mean does that kind of reflect how close those two are and also how close Mudric was to to Shakhtar as a club
0: Absolutely. I mean, well, mudrik has been at Shakhtar since, I don't know, past six years or so since um, playing for a number of other Ukrainian youth teams. And he's obviously made his proper development in his career over the past 18 months. But Shakhtar have been there for him an awful long time. And Dario Serna, he is, well, he's the sporting director, but also he's got a very close connection to Shakhtar as a club anyway, because he was term long-serving captain played against Chelsea a fair few times in his in his career. And he, as far as I'm aware, I saw someone tweet this a few weeks ago. He lives in London. So he's, I think he's probably a regular Stamford Bridge anyway, just maybe no one was really paying attention <laughs> beforehand. Um, and basically, Darius Serna was the one that <clears throat> started pushing this £100 million fee. He was the one that was pushing it in the media and everywhere else, saying that Mudrik is the third best um, left winger in Europe after Mbappe and Vinicius. And he, I think, was the one that ended up seeing this through. The reason I think that he was probably at Stamford Bridge was more to do with the fact that he was like a representative of the club and essentially the player that was able to actually come to the UK with a visa because he lives here and everything else compared to maybe his agents who might not have been able to get that in time. Um, And due to, obviously, the war and stuff, there's different rules about leaving Ukraine and and other bits and pieces. So I think he was just probably the best placed to encapsulate all of that, hence why he did that. And, um, yeah, he was very sort of full frontal in his participation with Mudrik, you know, with the photo, with the flag in in the director's box and everything else. And I think that just shows that how compared to like maybe the UK or even just Western European sides and, and other clubs around the world, when a transfer is made, like the player just leaves and that's it. It's like, yeah, you get a thanks and everything else. Whereas this is quite a big deal for Shakhtar and for Ukraine. It's the most expensive Ukrainian signing of all time. Um, they've made a load of money. Also with the fact that the, the current situation, the country is in and the club is in. Um, I think they just wanted to maximise this as sort of like a, you could say it's a PR thing not just for the club but also for Ukraine as well to sort of make it as sort of uh, as well known as possible and that comes into also the bit about Akhmetov the Shakhtar owner using his um, I guess official statement about Modric leaving to announce that he's also starting up a charity initiative and for any Chelsea fans out there just to want to clarify that Akhmetov never actually mentioned that those funds would be coming from the Mudrik deal. So it's not like Chelsea overpaid 20 million on purpose so that 20 million could be donated. Shakhtar Zona is already a billionaire. Um, So, you know, that money's coming from other businesses, which I think Palkin confirmed to The Athletic earlier today. And essentially he said that, no, that was never explicitly stated. I think someone just literally misinterpreted what was happening or put two and two together. It's just another sort of PR masterclass from Shakhtar where by using the Mudrik hype, they can also bring attention to something sort of completely unrelated to football, but for a good cause.
1: Yeah, and as well, I saw the thing about the the idea between Chelsea and Shakhtar to have a friendly, hopefully sometime in the future if that's possible. So I think that's maybe where people were putting two and two together. There's a friendly, is that part of the bonus? Is that part of the money that's going in? And there was also some comment I think, quite expectedly regarding what happened with Chelsea almost this time last year regarding Roman Abramovich. So I think there were some people, maybe more on the Arsenal side, coming up with some weird conspiracy theories that this is why Chelsea have done this deal. Um, But it's it's nice to have that clarity. And as I said, I think it's for for Shakhtar. And also the social media side of it over the weekend was quite interesting between both clubs. I've never seen a situation where Chelsea in particular, knowing Chelsea have put out almost an Instagram shout out to the player before we've actually officially unveiled them that was quite unique but um uh, let's get to the player I mean I, I think that personally it's I, I didn't know much about Madrid other than probably seeing his goal against Celtic earlier in the Champions League uh group stage which I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans and a lot of football fans is probably where they saw him in the Champions League. What makes him stand out about this talent? It's not only like a negotiating position for a sporting director to say, oh, he's like Vinicius, he's like Neymar. Surely you've, you've got to say that with some evidence behind it. So there quite clearly is a talent here that has gained the interest of at least two of the Premier League's biggest clubs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think obviously... A lot of people are talking about, oh, this guy's only got like 40 senior appearances and 20 goals or 12 goals or something like that. And essentially, I think it's more about the physical attributes and the technical attributes that Mudrik has that have got people very excited about him and about his possible potential going forward because he has blown up astronomically over the past 18 months, really. And, you know, more more seriously over the past 10 months or so. So essentially, he was... He was already catching the eye in the youth competitions like UEFA Youth League about three, four years ago where he was doing like sort of quite a skillful player, but very like slight, very quite skinny. And he looked like he had promise, but he looked, he was always getting sort of bullied off the ball, didn't look too serious. So something had to be done. And he had a few problems with a couple of the previous Shakhtar managers because he loved making loads of skill videos for like 433 tiktok and everything like that and they sort of questioned his attitude especially with Castro and that resulted in, in going on a few loans and then when coming returning not really playing much for the senior team and when Deserve came uh, he sort of gave him that faith sort of he's that kind of good people person man manager and he essentially gave Mudrik the chance to start playing in the team and that allowed the confidence and the sort of attributes that we've seen start to grow. So essentially Mudlik's a very good uh, technical winger, Um, really Mm. extremely fast. I've told this to a million people now, but one of the fastest players I've ever seen. And I think that people at Stanford bridge and elsewhere, hopefully at Anfield we'll see how, um, how fast he actually is. Um, on top of that, when he's running with the ball, he's one of the fastest players as well. Like, you know, you get the likes of Theo Walker, who are really quick. But they, you know, when they were on the ball, it wasn't as sort of fluid or anything like that. Whereas Mudrik, he can, he can sprint as fast as he can with the ball, close ball control. And he's also got that deceleration to sort of make a shift in, in sort of the play so that he can move on to another foot, beat a, beat a defender and then try and uh, find a bit of space. On top of that, he's got good at passing, got a whole ray of passing and vision in terms of trying to find someone on the opposing flank, um, working with his midfield to try and move attack, which I know at the moment is a bit of a problem at Chelsea. So hopefully that can be resolved to sort of hopefully uh, complement each other um, and help each other out in that respect. And as well as that, he's been working on his finishing recently. Um He's still probably not the finished product in that respect, but he's been working on it a lot, working a lot on his weak foot, which is his left, where he's been finishing with that, working extra hours uh, after training. Also going to the gym, which I think uh, after hours, that is, with a personal trainer where he's working a lot on his body mass and sort of trying to get as strong as possible. And he built up, when I said that he was that scrawny guy, he's now you know, a player that I think would be very well suited to the Premier League in terms of the physicality where he can, he won't be bullied off the ball. If he's going into a uh, sort of a one V one challenge where he has to sort of um, go shoulder to shoulder with someone, he can come out on top in some of those. And I think that that means that he is ready for this next step. Obviously a lot of development left to go. He's still raw. He's got a bit of decision-making to improve on in terms of trying to take a lot of stuff on, but I'm hoping that the fact that there's more quality in the side at Chelsea compared to Shakhtar you know um, it will allow him to if he is for example doubled up on or made to be uh, try like marked out the game that that will create more space for his other teammates to try and do something with that so I think there's a lot of positives and yeah still a few uh, bits of um bits of work that left to do um obviously over the part over the next eight and a half years later Chelsea <laughs>
1: Yeah this, that short contract he's been given I don't know how long he's actually going to be here for but uh, yeah it's, it's interesting you mentioned the physical side of it because yeah that's something that players we wide players we have bought recently like Hakim Ziyech and Christian Pulisic I think have really struggled with is, is that physical challenge of, of the Premier League and when you mentioned his speed I mean this was something that was brought up when Timo Werner was signed but you know Werner as we saw at Chelsea where he Failed was at least in my opinion, was technically you know, just wasn't good technically on the ball. If you put a ball in front of him to run onto, that's where his speed and acceleration is, is can be quite frightening. Um, so as you say, on the ball, that's something Chelsea have really lacked of those players who can be great off the ball runners but also on the ball and, and really take opponents out of the game. Uh, so hopefully, he can, can produce that. The transition to Premier League football, I mean, it's not just about moving from one league to another it's also a, a culture and a you know a, a new country i mean especially for a young player this may be something as football fans we don't appreciate we just kind of see almost like fifa right we look at one player going and we'll just we'll, we'll transpose the abilities to another place and hopefully they do the same but this is pr- the premier league this is chelsea this is one of the the bigger clubs in the league i mean do you have concerns about that that um challenge that now faces him especially at a club that isn't doing amazingly well and doesn't have the greatest feeling at the moment
0: so yeah obviously I think he knows that there's loads of pressure on him now both for the fee not just at Chelsea but also at it back in Ukraine because everyone knows that there's this big burden he's now the poster boy he now has to, I guess, essentially fulfill what Andrew Shevchenko did when he moved from Dynamo Kiev to, uh, AC Milan and, you know, one Ballon d'Or and everything else. Whereas apparently in the, in the bonus add-on clause, there is no Ballon d'Or for the, from the Chelsea side. So that, that maybe, maybe that makes it a bit easier, but still that's his, one of his own personal goals. And yeah, he's got the pressure where he's going to have to step up almost immediately, I guess, because of the current situation that Chelsea are in. There's a lot of pressure going on. The fans will probably be on his back after a few games if he's not performing, uh, just because of the current, I guess, climate, because it's a lot of uncertainty. um, Seems a bit of a mess. There's also uncertainty over Potter. Yeah, he might stay and there is those sort of um, confirmations that he is part of the long-term deal, but you never know in football and you never know uh, especially in Boley because he's relatively new to to the club uh so we will see how that goes but I think that he can step up to it in all honesty he seems to have this Cristiano Ronaldo type mentality drive determination and you know if anything I would you, you can say it as like a when you're that good you have to be that certain in yourself some people would call it delusion or You know, just to be that good, you have to carry on and believe in yourself. And he's got that. It's like, I don't think, at least for the time being, he doesn't seem to be someone who's going to lose any confidence. Um, He's just going to, he's trying to sort of like hit hit new heights every single game, every single match that he plays in. And now that he's got sort of a new stage to do that in, I think he's certainly not going to let it down. And if anything, I feel that this season for Chelsea, is kind of, I think a lot of people have already confined it to you're not going to make top four and there's not that much to lose. Just don't make it a complete embarrassment uh, of a season, is essentially the main goal. And then, so a crack on once you can sell a load of players in the summer and sort of start restructuring properly then. So these next six months, I think, is probably quite a good opportunity for him to properly bed into the side. He can obviously get to know his teammates a bit more he's got good English already so that's massive positive um he likes that kind of I guess London lifestyle anyway where you know he's wearing all the all the latest um, Louis Vuitton and everything else he loves tattoos but he's also not like a party boy per se where I as far as I'm away he doesn't drink um and he's very sort of structured and focused on Being in the gym if he's not on the pitch or doing something else, watching Naruto and, you know, those kind of sort of niche kind of niche kind of things. So he's he's kind of got that superstar image already. He just now needs to sort of fulfil that on the pitch from all the hype and potential that he's already shown in the sort of short period he has had at Mm -hmm. Shakhtar.
1: Well, at Stanford Bridge, he isn't too far away from Harrods. So I'm sure yeah, he will exactly. get himself he'll down there. He'll
0: be there plenty of times.
1: <laughs> yeah, you go around some of the uh, the places around there and it is, it is like Footballer Central. It's like this is where footballers shop. So uh, I'm sure he'll like that. I, You know, you mentioned sort of his his character and kind of I think Chelsea have needed players with broader shoulders you know that kind of that swagger that we used to have with some of our great players and mm. the easiest one and it's he's probably going to be compared to him based on his positioning to Edin Hazard because that was the last I guess great world-class player Chelsea had at least from an mm. a- attacking point of view and you know if he can fulfill some of that and and I did say this on my podcast the day after sort of the news broke about him signing that maybe this is a good time to come to Chelsea because Mm. there's such a lack of that that he may take the responsibility on and think you know if he would have come say five years earlier you know there would have been more competition for him and he may have been lost in a shuffle like a Mohamed Salah or Kevin De Bruyne you know this may be the perfect time I mean do you kind of think that that coming to Chelsea at this point in his career at least that at this point in Chelsea history it might actually turn out to be a good thing for Madrid?
0: Honestly, over sort of the past few days when I've been thinking about it, yes. I, I thought initially that he'd probably be a better fit for Arsenal just right now in terms of he probably wouldn't be a starter for them uh, initially, especially in the next six months at least. But he would have sort of come on as a sub for Martinelli and, you know, involved in Europa League and continue on until the end of the season win win the Premier League sort of in his first six months. Uh, however, at Chelsea but the thing is there he'd be like he wouldn't be like a star because they've got like a number of players across across the team that are like really shining at the moment and obviously probably especially if he was like coming on as a sub and stuff he wouldn't get to that and I feel that that's what he sort of wants and needs at the moment where he needs to sort of be validated as this savior messiah type person where hey this guy can be one of the best players on the planet let me just showcase that. And I agree with you. I I think Daniel, that he could be that person that sort of lifts everyone else in the team um, in terms of, wow, this guy's doing brilliant stuff. That sort of might motivate me to give an extra 10%, uh, 110% when this guy's doing it. Why am I sort of slacking and everything else? So um, yeah, I'm sure that he's going to bring a bit more of that magic feeling when, when Chelsea are playing hopefully so um, fingers crossed for that
1: Yeah I did think that Joao Felix definitely offered that you saw some of the players before of course he two-footed an opponent and got himself sent off for and, and banned for a month but you know I, I think that you could see that level sort of rising in Chelsea players particularly someone like Kai Havertz who seems to operate better with players around him you know like if, if there are, he doesn't seem to be that leading player if players around him are playing well he plays well rather than him mm-hmm. being sort of a one of those players really commands take it on his shoulders yeah yeah yeah. and I think hopefully as I say I think Chelsea lack those type of characters who are just going to say give me the ball I'm taking responsibility in this game and and hopefully as I say we we've got a good enough character in Madrid to do that final question and I I guess it may be an easy one to answer because it's quite clear where he plays but I I just guess you know Graham Potter kind of the the best way to utilize him I, I don't know if the the recent change to say a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 is actually a good thing for Madrid compared to say the wing-back sort of circus that we were playing before the World Cup.
0: In all honesty, I think he does play better in that sort of 4-3-3, 4 4 4-2-3-1. Uh... Just because as a left winger, that's where he's been playing for the past few years. That's where he's got his right. Yeah, maybe he might be able to shift in into the middle a bit more, but I think he'd be less able to expose some of those attributes such as pace if he is shifted in there because he'll be more focused on using his, um, using his passing and shooting, which is great, but I feel that if you've got someone who is that quick, why not actually put it in the best position that they can expose, which is on the wings? And at the end of the day, he what I think he needs is probably a competent midf- central midfielder or an attacking midfielder that will be able to sort of feed him in to those passes, those ones behind the fullback, sort of ones over the top as well, maybe from the centre-backs, to sort of get him latching onto them because he is that quick. He can literally run onto something especially with the way that Chelsea are playing at the moment they're not really trying to control games so heavily you know there is a bit of a counter-attack uh, play to them at least for the next six months I'd probably say so and that is where it's needs where Mudrik can be best utilised I think he can play against low blocks as people say against very defensive teams um That would just mean that he'll be bringing a lot more of his teammates in involved in sort of the combinations and everything else. And I think another key thing might be the way that Chelsea set up up front in terms of centre forwards. Is Potter going to go for two up top? So maybe like Felix and Havertz or a Aubameyang together? Or is he just going to go for sort of a false nine type person? Like Havertz has been playing really over the past few months or so. And I think the false nine doesn't fully complement Mudrik just on the basis that he was playing with a, not a full sniper, he was playing with a centre forward um, in the box. But what happened a lot of the time was that Mudrik was coming in. Um, and essentially what happened was that he, there was no one to pass to because the player was either not involved directly or he wasn't, uh, the, the centre forward wasn't there to, to, to meet it or he wasn't as good technically to receive the pass, to finish and everything else. So as long as he's got someone that can complement him and sort of help him, and I think sort of someone like Felix would actually be perfect if he's maybe slightly deeper in that sort of support striker role, they can link up together really well. And I'd, I'd be really excited to see once Felix is back how that sort of tandem starts working.
1: Yeah, especially uh, just thinking about it, rather than just the Premier League stuff, we've got the Borussia Dortmund Champions League game. And, you know, it is quite exciting to think of a front line involving Felix and and Mudrick and potentially, you know, you have Mason Mount within there. We've, you know, recently signed Fafana, David Datra Fafana, who is raw, but, you know, is I think kind of feels a more natural striker um, profile than Kai Havertz does, who is kind of still a little bit like, what is he going to be at Chelsea? Um, it seems to pop up with good goals and big goals for Chelsea so we'll see how it develops with Potter over the next few months um but thank you so much Andrew for joining me really good conversation thank you so much for lending your insight over Madrid and and hopefully fingers crossed uh, he can fulfill his potential over that eight-year contract <laughs> at Stamford Bridge and he turns out to be a Chelsea legend um but as I do with all my guests I just give you a chance now to shout out where people can find your work online
0: yeah, thanks Daniel for having me. Good good chat and fingers crossed as well for everything to develop as, as planned. Uh, yeah, if anyone wants to follow me in terms of finding out a bit more about Ukrainian football in English, you can follow me on Twitter at Zorya Londonsk. Um, and Instagram as well, if you're on there. Similarly, I do a podcast with a couple of friends uh, called Ukraine Plus Football. We did sort of a breakdown episode on Mudrik recently, and we've got a new one coming out um, this week as well, just to you know, sum up this deal too from our perspective and find out a bit more about all the other Ukrainian talent that's um, on the move potentially this summer. So you can find that on all good podcast platforms as well, Ukraine Plus Football.
1: Yeah, definitely go and check that out. I'll link in the description box below. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to watch this episode. Also, if you're listening on the podcast, thank you as well for tuning in. Follow me on Twitter at Son Chelsea, and I will see you again very soon. All the best.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.